welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling, everyone. I'm your host, Ian, and we are talking everything that made headlines in the world of pro wrestling this week. And this week was not nearly as busy as last week. Last week, it seemed like everything that could possibly happen in wrestling happened at the same time. Winter is Coming for AEW was, an ev- was a very eventful two hours. With Sting making his AEW debut, Kenny Omega winning the AEW World Championship and aligning with Don Callis to take the title to Impact Wrestling. A lot happened last week. This week felt a little bit more like we were all just kind of getting our bearings after a very eventful week before. But Don Callis and Kenny Omega were the story of wrestling this week. They sort of fought with Sting over being the story of last week in wrestling, and both of those stories were eclipsed by, unfortunately, the loss of Pat Patterson. But in wrestling this week, nothing was bigger than Don Callis and Kenny Omega appearing on Impact Wrestling on Tuesday night, then again on AEW Dynamite on Wednesday night, and then Kenny Omega and Don Callis were on were on Impact Wrestling's Final Resolution event on Saturday night, although it was pre-taped. And physically, Kenny Omega was in Mexico defending his AAA Mega Championship for AAA. That's four shows in a period of seven days where Kenny Omega and Don Callis were a focal point if not the main part of the show altogether. That's pretty incredible. Now, by the time you read this, we'll have an article up on the website detailing Don Callis' career in pro wrestling. And we look at, you know, a little bit of his early career when he was trained by the Golden Sheik and he was wrestling in Winnipeg and then getting signed to the WWF, attempting a hostile coup or takeover of that company, along with his militia, the Truth Commission, and later the Parade of Human Oddities. We look a little bit at how, after being thrown out of the WWF, he was fired by Bruce Pritchard, because Bruce Pritchard knew that Don Callis was eventually coming for his job. We look at how Don Callis then took over ECW and even led to the demise of ECW. And then, from there, he went to TNA Wrestling, where he assumed control of that show before leaving wrestling for a 13-year period to get a degree in international business, then work in international management. And it might have seemed as though He was retired from the wrestling business. But I think what's abundantly clear to wrestling fans now is what Callis was really doing was he was studying international business so that he could open doors and break down walls for Kenny Omega to to break all the rules of pro wrestling and become a champion in Japan a champion in Mexico, a champion in the United States. And so all Don Callis was really doing those years he was away working in international trade was 
he was studying how to conduct an international takeover of an entire industry. Maybe that's taking things a bit far. But he was on four wrestling... Well, Don Callis was on three wrestling shows this week, and Kenny Omega was on four wrestling shows this week. I think Impact had the, the, the bigger appearance. I think we got more answers from Kenny Omega and Don Callis' appearance on Impact Wrestling this week than, than we did on Dynamite or at Final Resolution on Saturday. So on Impact Wrestling on Tuesday, they cut... So they show up in a luxury bus. It was just a big bus. And Josh Matthews comes into the bus with Don Callis, with Kenny Omega, to interview them. Don Callis details their whole history together. And he says, What happened at Winter is Coming had been planned for 27 years. And Callis is talking about his early days with Kenny Omega's, Kenny Omega's uncle, the Golden Sheik, who trained Callis and managed him. And then as Callis started to move out, Callis was leaving the wrestling business as Kenny Omega was coming into it. Kenny Omega got his start what, in the early 2000s, just as Don Callis was leaving it. I, I think it was... Omega maybe made his in-ring debut around 2001 or something like that, and Callis was uh, working in international trade in 2004. But then all of these things just, you know, Omega brought Callis back into the wrestling industry in 2017. And Callis, after doing a little bit of a podcast with Lance Storm, Callis is doing the color commentating on New Japan Pro Wrestling with Kenny Omega. But anyone who was watching New Japan Pro Wrestling at that time knows that Kenny Omega, or excuse me, Don Callis frequently mentioned his friendship, his relationship with Kenny Omega outside of the wrestling ring while on commentary. And then they organized Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega at the Tokyo Dome. And both Don Callis and Kenny Omega mentioned on Impact Wrestling Tuesday night, that Tony Khan has said several times, if that match between Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega at the Tokyo Dome doesn't happen in 2017, then AEW doesn't exist. And that might seem like, wow, how could that one match do that? But that match was such a paradigm breaker, you know? It, was, it, sh it shifted everything. We'd only ever seen Chris Jericho in WWE for 15 years at that. For more than 15 years at that point. For a WWE guy to go into Japan and face Kenny Omega. It was a big deal. And it sort of, that match showed to a lot of fans just how much wrestling is outside WWE. Casual fans. For the last two decades, it's WWE or nothing. But Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega at the Tokyo Dome in 2017 proved that wasn't true anymore. That things were changing in the wrestling business. And then on Wednesday night, Callis and Omega 
sort of explained the same thing on Dynamite. However, they had mentioned on Tuesday night that they had a big announcement on Dynamite. And that announcement never really came. It seemed like they were going to say something. And at some point, Callis said, they're not ready yet. They're not ready yet. And then Omega just did the uh, goodbye and goodnight thing. So it seems to me, and I could have this wrong, it seems to me that they've got some other announcement to make that at one point the plan had been to announce it on Dynamite, but at some point the plan was the, the plan got pushed back a little. And another pretty important thing in this angle happened Saturday night at Final Resolution. This was Impact's monthly event on their streaming service, Impact Plus. And so it wasn't really clear. They never said that Kenny Omega was going to be there. But lo and behold, a couple of matches into the show, they show footage of that same luxury bus pulling up again. I mean, granted, it was probably the same footage, and that might not even be the bus that they're pulling up in. In fact... The segments with Callus and Omega could have been filmed in an entirely different city. But on the Saturday show, Carl Anderson shows up. And just like Rich Swan had tried to go through a bouncer to get into the luxury bus to talk to Callus and Omega on Tuesday night, Carl Anderson walks by, but Carl Anderson is on the list. Omega and Callis have put the good brother, because Doc Gallows is out with an injury right now, so it's just Carl Anderson, the machine gun Carl Anderson, he has been put on the list. And so he goes into the bus and he's hanging out with Callis and Omega, and it it's something of a Bullet Club reunion. Not that Callis was ever in the Bullet Club, but Carl Anderson, founding member of Bullet Club. Kenny Omega played a large role in Bullet Club. He was always, like, once he came back to New Japan as the cleaner, he was Bullet Club all the way through. I mean, it was sort of a different era of Bullet Club, but I think what they're showing here now is Kenny Omega's got some friends in Impact Wrestling. And it looks like he could be aligned with the Good Brothers once again. And so they... They reminisced in the back and Carl Anderson talked about, oh, this is just like old times. You'd have a title. Me and Gallows have a title. And then they talked about how Carl Anderson, the machine gun Carl Anderson, the guy who went to the finals of the G1 in 2012, he can probably go in there and beat Ethan Page in just a a couple of minutes and then come back, right? Right? Well, he did beat Ethan Page. It, It took longer than a few minutes. And then, well, on on Tuesday night, the idea that was suggested was that Kenny Omega has been become something of a collector, and he wants to collect titles, and he compared this to when he collected comic books as a kid. And right now, he says that in terms of the the wrestling title versus comic book analogy, he's got Superman number one. He's got the most prized possession in the industry. But he'd like to add more titles 
possibly even the Impact World Championship. And we saw Rich Swan on Tuesday night try to gain access, try to be allowed into the luxury bus with Callus and Omega and being denied entry. He didn't seem too happy about that. So it seems like Swan's got a bone to pick with Callus and Omega. And Callus and Omega might be thinking that Swan has something that they want. There's a lot of interesting things that could come out of Kenny Omega and Don Callis' takeover of the wrestling world. And I think one of the first things that we're going to get out of this is Kenny Omega versus Rich Swan, Maybe even a title versus title match. We'll just have to see. But then Kenny Omega did successfully defend his AAA Mega Championship in Mexico on Saturday night as well, seemingly being in two places at the same time. That's no problem for Kenny Omega. He defeated the Laredo Kid in a really, really fun and, and great match there on Triple A's Triple Mania event that's up on YouTube for free. Really great stuff and really great stuff from Kenny Omega and Don Callis this week in pro wrestling. One of the bigger stories in pro wrestling this week that I wanted to make sure got the proper amount of attention this week is how NXT came out of the War Games event, specifically as it concerns the NXT Championship. Because this is a title that has had a rough 2020. We've all had rough 2020s. But no title belt in wrestling has had a rougher 2020 than the NXT Championship. So basically, Adam Cole had a 396-day title reign in, in, from 2019 to 2020. And it was ended at the Great American Bash this summer when Keith Lee defeated him in the winner-takes-all title-for-title match. But then Keith Lee, a few weeks later, I mean, like a month and a half later, he only had like a 50-day reign or something like that. Yeah, so a little bit more than a month and a half. He loses the title to Karrion Cross. So after having one champion for longer than a year, the next champion after that only made it, you know, six weeks. Six, seven weeks, something like that. But then Cross made it less time than that. Because by the time they got to the Wednesday show that week, it had been revealed that Cross suffered a separated shoulder and was going to be out for a few months, so he was stripped of the title. Then we had that four-way Iron Man match with Finn Balor, Adam Cole, uh, Johnny Gargano, and Tommaso Ciampa. And that ended with Balor and Cole with two wins apiece Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, just with one fall apiece, so they're out. Then we go the next week on, remember when NXT did Super Tuesday? Super Tuesday number two was then Finn Balor versus uh, Adam Cole for the vacant title, with Finn Balor coming out the, the victor. Okay, great. So we've got Finn Balor as the NXT champion. But then Finn Balor goes to the next takeover event against Kyle O'Reilly, and defeats O'Reilly but suffers a broken jaw in the process, he's now out of action for a bunch of months. So now 
we've got a really muddied NXT title picture. And that and we sort of got what they're gonna do on Wednesday night. So it starts off, we have like a talking segment, Finn Balor's out there, and then all the, the top challengers come out there, uh, including uh, Scarlett Bordeaux. And uh, she's, you know, representing Killer Cross. And um, it looks like now we've got sort of a path to the championship for everyone. Damian Cross had some words about, or sorry, Damian Priest had some words about Killer Cross to Scarlett. That brought out the returning carrying cross later that night to brawl with Damian Priest. So it looks like that's going to be the next big match for those two, with Cross and Damian Priest going one-on-one. Now, you could argue, wait a second, Karrion Cross is undefeated in NXT. He's tore through the competition, uh, defeated Keith Lee, won the NXT Championship, only had it stripped from him when he was injured. Why is he not getting an immediate title match? And I think he's just not getting an immediate title match just so William Regal or NXT can sort of put it off maybe to the Knicks takeover. Because the Knicks title match is going to take place at New Year's Evil. And Finn Balor is going to face the winner of Kyle O'Reilly versus Pete Dunne. Here's why you're getting that match. So one idea would be Kyle O'Reilly should be out of the title picture because he lost to Finn Balor. But O'Reilly addressed that on Wednesday night. He said, yeah, you won, but then you were sipping all of your meals out of a straw for months after and were gone. The the other point is that O'Reilly got the pin for the Undisputed Era in War Games this year. And generally speaking, if you are either the captain of your War Games team or you get the fall for your War Games team, you are in the running for the Knicks title shot. And... At some point in the women's division, Raquel Gonzalez is getting a shot at Io Shirai. Might not be right away, but it's coming. Okay, so Kyle O'Reilly, a mix of he injured the champion in his last title match, plus he got the fall for his team in war games. It makes sense that Kyle O'Reilly is in the mix for for the title. So why is Pete Dunne there? Well, because the last time Kyle O'Reilly and Pete Dunne wrestled, it was a ladder match for the War Games Advantage, and Pete Dunne won. So since Dunne is sitting there with a win over Kyle O'Reilly, but O'Reilly's sitting there with his Undisputed Era beating Dunne's team in War Games, it only makes sense that these two should wrestle one more time with the winner going on to face the champion at New Year's Evil. Looks like we're probably going to get Damian Priest versus Killer Cro- or uh, Carrion Cross at the same event at New Year's Evil, and then you just you throw the two winners against each other at the Knicks Takeover event, um, which I don't know when that would be. Probably March, like the one that they w- used to do around WrestleMania. It could be that, but then you very likely, or very possibly at least have the two last NXT champions facing off. So you would have, if Finn Balor can can get through either Pete Dunne or Kyle O'Reilly, and Karrion Cross can get through Damian Priest, then you've got Finn Balor versus Karrion Cross for the title at the next takeover. And 
considering Cross Cross's injury was when the title started to kind of fall the title picture started to fall apart a little. If you have Cross versus Balor at Takeover, that writes the whole ship. That sets everything on the correct course again. But by the time you're listening to this, we should have an article up on the website where we look at some of the other contenders to the NXT Championship as well. So be sure to give that a look at too. So probably the next biggest story in wrestling this week, maybe, maybe, it's a big story. I'm not sure where you'd rank it, but... The Shaquille O'Neal segment on AEW Dynamite this week did really great in the ratings. It was something like 1.22 million people were tuned into Dynamite to watch Shaquille O'Neal and Brandy Rhodes and Tony Schiavone. And so Shaquille O'Neal, I mean, it seemed like this was going to be Shaq versus Cody. That we would somehow get a Shaquille O'Neal versus Cody Rhodes match. Now, wrestling fans have been promised a Shaquille O'Neal wrestling match numerous times throughout the years, and I don't think we've ever officially gotten one. So I'm not really holding my breath that we'll see Shaq in the ring. But what this segment seemed to set up is that Shaq is Jade Cargill's backer of some sorts. He's a supporter of hers. They're friends. They're associates. They go way back, he said. And it seems like what we're actually getting is not Cody Rhodes versus Shaquille O'Neal, but rather Jade Cargill versus Brandy Rhodes. And Shaq in this segment said he, he didn't appreciate what Cargill did to Brandy Rhodes' arm, but, you know, did say that maybe Brandy could pick up some pointers from Cargill. He should watch what she does in the ring and so on. There wasn't a lot of mention of Shaq doing anything with Cody. and Maybe it's the case that Cody's attention is solely on Sting at this point. Sting has shown up in AEW and Cody's just not thinking about other things. Maybe that's the case. But when Jade Cargill, when we first heard Shaquille O'Neal's name in AEW, it was Jade Cargill interrupting a Cody Rhodes promo. But now everything Cody's doing seems to be around Sting and not around Shaq. But Brandy has been in several segments with Jade Cargill, and Jade Cargill seems to be amassing a a group of supporters. She's got Ivelisse and Diamante helping her out now. Nyla Rose and uh, Vicky Guerrero seem to be in her corner. So who's pulling? Is this Shaquille O'Neal pulling the strings behind the scenes to stack the deck in favor of his girl? He's got a, a friend who wants to do well in AEW. So, hey, man, Shaq's got a lot of money. He's got pull over on TNT, the station that airs Dynamite. So what is he up to? Is he maybe sweetening the pot for Nyla Rose, sweetening the pot for Ivelisse and Diamante, maybe sending them some Reebok shoes? I don't know if he still has a sponsorship with those. Maybe giving them, uh, you know, a little bit of extra money on the side to help his girl out. What's going on? What? Who is helping 
all of these women come to Jade Cargill's aid in her feud against Brandy Rhodes here. And do we ever see Cody get into Shaquille O'Neal's face about this? If Shaquille O'Neal is the one pulling the strings and allowing Jade Cargill to pull off these attacks on Brandy Rhodes, how long until Cody gets into Shaq's face? How long until Cody gets a, a little stepladder so that he can get face-to-face with the seven-foot-tall Shaquille O'Neal? Do we ever get Shaquille O'Neal in an actual wrestling match? I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully we do get Shaquille O'Neal versus Cody Rhodes at some point, but right now it doesn't appear appear as though that's on Cody's radar. He Cody Rhodes, this is what we know of what Cody Rhodes' plans for the foreseeable future is. After he lost the title to Darby Allen at Full Gear, he came out with Arn Anderson. They said they are not going for an immediate rematch against Darby Allen. Said that he has another loss on his record that he'd like to, to correct. And started to mention Maxwell Jacob Friedman. You know, but that got interrupted. But he's also got a, a huge feud going on with Team Taz. Team Taz, Ricky Starks, Powerhouse Hobbs, Brian Cage. They're on one side, and it appears as though Cody and Darby Allen are on the other. And that's what was going on at Winter is Coming. Team Taz was assaulting Cody and Darby Allen when the lights went out. The blizzard hit. I thought Glacier was showing up, and then Sting came out. And Team Taz fled. And then this week, Cody and Arn Anderson were out. They were about to be interviewed by Tony Schiavone, and Sting came out. And Arn Anderson basically just got in Sting's face and wanted to see if he was real. Upon finding out that he was in fact real, Arn Anderson just left. His mission for the day had been accomplished. And Cody told Sting that he'd been waiting. He's been waiting to share the same ring with him. And that got a bit of a like, ooh, from the crowd. And I think it was because the crowd took Cody saying, I've been waiting to share the ring with you, as Cody saying, I've been waiting to wrestle you. And Cody has mentioned numerous times in interviews that his favorite wrestler growing up was Sting. And we don't know yet if Sting's going to wrestle. But his bio was put up on the active competitor section of AEW's website. And Sting told Cody, hey, I'm not here for you. But he also said, I'll see you around in sort of an ominous fashion, which may imply that we could see a day where Sting and Cody go one-on-one inside the squared circle. So you have to ask yourself, if you're a betting person, what's, what is more likely for us to see? Cody versus Sting or Cody versus Shaquille O'Neal? We'll see. But a lot of interesting things coming up in AEW as it concerns Cody Rhodes, Brandy Rhodes, Shaquille O'Neal, and of course, Sting!
a story came out this week that I think is big enough. We should probably address it. Now, this all came from... Okay, so it was first... Uh, like something that was kind of mentioned by PW Insider. And then there was a paragraph in the Wrestling Observer about it. And then PW Insider after that was like, whoa, we've got even more news. Here's the gist of the story. A bunch of guys, like the like larger guys who wrestle for WWE, are now undergoing additional training at the WWE Performance Center. And this, according to Wrestling Observer and PW Insider, this is because Vince McMahon got upset with how the big guys are working. And so this is AJ Styles' bodyguard, uh, almost uh, Otis, Keith Lee, Dio Madden. Just the big guys. The big guys. And so twice a week, according to these reports, these guys are going to be doing additional classes at the WWE Performance Center that are going to be taught by Adam Pierce and Drew Gulak. Because when you think, who better how to teach giants and big men how to work than to, you know, smaller guys? But they're also both really good wrestlers, so that should help. Um, I don't know if Drew Gulak will be wearing the gobbledygooker outfit when he leads these classes. But anyway, this was a big... This was sort of like a big deal amongst the quote-unquote insiders who like to have all the, the little hot gossip that sometimes turns out to be true and sometimes doesn't. And the idea was, oh, Vince McMahon is so out of touch, you know, t taking a guy like Keith Lee and sending him back in for seasoning. I mean, the truth is, the same thing happened to Keith Lee in NXT. Um... Triple H has said in interviews, you know, they love Keith Lee. He's got all this stuff. But at one point, they did have to kind of scale back a little bit because they wanted to tweak some things. So that's sort of why, like, remember Keith Lee looked like he was the the next big thing after Survivor Series and Royal Rumble. Like, uh, not this year's Survivor Series, but last year's Survivor Series because they had NXT in it. And then he was in the Royal Rumble as well. And it just looked like they were building Keith Lee to be like the next big thing in WWE. But then he was still in NXT, and even NXT didn't really push him towards the title for a few months. And Triple H has sort of said, yeah, we were kind of working on some things. So this is sort of the second time that Keith Lee has, has been sent in for quote-unquote seasoning. But I, the important part to remember about this is nobody singled out Keith Lee. They've sent all the active big wrestlers to these classes. So at no point did somebody go, Keith Lee sucks, let's send him in for more training. It was, hey, I've noticed that our bigger wrestlers could use maybe some different training. You know, so like nobody was singling out anybody other than they were singling out the large male wrestlers more than anything. But that kind of became like a like a big talking point this week. And I think it is something that has been blown out of proportion a little bit. Like, I remember the big show. This happened to the big show during his career uh, with WWE. There was like a time where he was sent to OVW for like a year. 
And it was just to kind of tighten them up a little bit. Um, but it's also because, look, if you're a big man, wrestling's harder. Moving around is harder. You know, being fast is more difficult. There's things that big men deal with in wrestling that smaller guys don't. And having training that is geared towards them specifically makes all the sense in the world. So Hurricane Helms put out a tweet when everybody was making much ado about this nothing. And basically saying, look, if you're a professional football player, if you're a professional hockey player, if you're a professional whatever, you still practice. And, oh, by the way, Hurricane Helms is back in a producer's role with WWE, so he might have something to do with this too, right? And basically the idea is, look, they're just going in for more practice. Nobody's in the doghouse. Nobody's about to get fired. A few people are going in for more, as Allen Iverson put it, practice. Another story came out this week that WWE is looking to film shows in India and are sort of moving forward with an NXT India brand, or at least a performance center in India. And I was happy to hear this news because this is part of a plan that Triple H put forward a few years ago. And it was the almost like a return to the territories idea where he would have these NXT brands all over the world, and they would be like a feeder system to WWE. And I love the way that he explained this as this global localization is the term that he used. And the idea is, look, we just set up these performance centers in places where they love wrestling. We bring them in. We teach them our style of wrestling. We get them wrestling against our guys. We put, the, we put some shows on the WWE Network that will be geared towards fans in those areas. So fans in India can turn on the WWE Network and uh, see wrestlers from their country try, try and compete and get to the main roster. Get to, and it's like if this plays out how Triple H wants it to, it's almost like Raw and SmackDown would be the Champions League. And NXT would be like the the local leagues, you know? And so you'd have a, you'd NXT USA in Orlando. You'd have the NXT UK, and I think they're operating out, I mean, they're basically operating out of London now because they're using those uh, studios out there for NXT UK. Uh, there had been plans, or at least rumors of plans, to do NXT Japan. Um, I think Kyrie Sane and Kushida were even going to play a role in getting that going. But all plans for that, well, all plans for any of this global localization stuff were scrapped with the onset of the pandemic. Obviously, the travel restrictions are going to put uh, a, a real damper on things. Also, being able to bring out local fans to a show is obviously not possible right now. So plans for NXT Japan were scrapped, NXT Australia, so on. Um, I know Anthony Corelli, the former Santino, was looking at like, hey, could we do an NXT Canada around Toronto or some area? So when I heard the story that NXT India is back on, I was like, okay, 
All right. Well, maybe, maybe these plans haven't gotten scrapped permanently. And maybe we're still looking at getting this global localization going. You get an NXT India and you start to build up guys that are, are hugely popular in their own country. Then maybe when you visit that country, you put those uh, men or women on the shows or people of any wrestlers of any gender. And, you know, you, you turn these local heroes into international superstars. So I really liked that plan from Triple H that we would have all these different NXTs. And it was disappointing to learn that the plan had more or less gotten scrapped with the pandemic. But for others that uh, were looking forward to this kind of thing, it should be taken as a very good sign that the plans for NXT India appear to be back on track. And finally, the WWE TLC pay-per-view is next weekend. As of this recording, we have six matches official for the show. We might get one or two more added over the week. Maybe another one for the kickoff show or something like that. But let's run down what we've got announced so far. And up on the website right now, there should be... Uh, uh, our official TLC uh, preview, which also has pay-per-view records for all the wrestlers in the big matches and sort of a little bit about what led into the match being booked in the first place, starting with Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens. This is going to be the first time that Kevin Owens has been in the world title picture since he challenged Kofi Kingston for the title, uh, not this summer, but the summer before, the 2019 summer. The most recent summer where we didn't have to wear masks indoors and not see people. That summer. Not this summer, where things were very, very different. All right, so Owens, this is just going to be his second singles match on pay-per-view this year. He wrestled in the Royal Rumble, didn't win that. Had a singles match um, on WrestleMania, defeated Seth Rollins. Then he... he hasn't really been in the mix all that much throughout 2020. He was a long, he was away for a long time. Uh, he was on team SmackDown in the survivor series, traditional five on five match, but all of a sudden Kevin Owens now right in the mix of things. He defeated Jay Uso in on a SmackDown main event recently. And that just kind of shot him right up to title contention. Of course, Jay Uso had gotten the last two title shots against Roman Reigns. As for Roman Reigns, uh, he's sitting at about three months right now as champion. He won the title back at Payback, which was one week after SummerSlam for some reason. And this is going to be his eighth pay-per-view match this year. It's going to be his seventh pay-per-view. He did double duty at the Royal Rumble. And he hasn't lost on pay-per-view yet. He defeated King Corbin in a singles match at the Royal Rumble. He didn't win the men's Royal Rumble match. Then at Super Showdown, he defeated King Corbin again. Then at Payback, he showed up late into a triple threat match <laughs> against The Fiend and Braun Strowman, but won the Universal title. Then on the last, uh, oh, sorry, and then the two following pay-per-views were his big feud with his cousin Jey Uso. He defeated Jey Uso at Clash of Champions, then did again at Hell in a Cell. Then at the Survivor Series, Roman Reigns defeated the WWE Champion Drew McIntyre to 
And in many people's opinions, or at least in mine, in my opinion, that makes the Universal title the more important title for the remainder of the year. Other people are just going to view that Survivor Series match as a nothing match. That's all right. We also got Sasha Banks versus Carmella coming up on Sunday night from the Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg, Petersburg, Florida. And for Banks, she's looking to pick up her first singles championship title defense on a pay-per-view ever. She's now she she got her first title defense on WWE programming when she defeated Bailey on the November 6th edition of SmackDown. And so now she'll be looking to get her second consecutive title defense against Carmella. I mean Banks has had a great year with this being the last pay-per-view of WWE's year. I mean Bailey, it's going to be her 8th pay-per-view. You know, she had big roles all throughout the year, whether she was as part of a tag team with Bailey or feuding with Bailey. But now this is going to be sort of the first non-Bailey related match of the year for her. And it's going against the returning Carmella. Carmella, who we haven't seen actually take part in a match, or, well, she did on SmackDown, but <laughs> we haven't seen Carmella wrestle much since Money in the Bank. She was in the Money in the Bank match, and then we never saw her for a while. She comes back, and she's got this new character. But then it sort of begs the question, why is Carmella getting an immediate title match here? What's the sense in that? And some headcanon kind of can be done, you know? You can say, oh, Carmella signed a new contract recently, and this was part of her negotiating, or just Carmella is a former SmackDown champion, so she can be inserted into the mix whenever. But, I mean, in actual fact, if you look at the the women's division, I mean, Bailey kind of cleaned it out for a little bit before Banks won the title. So, if you look in the SmackDown women's division, one person that's definitely coming up and is going to be in the mix real soon is Bianca Belair. But with both Banks and Belair being baby faces, <laughs> um, they're probably not going to mix it up anytime soon. Natalia just defeated Bailey in like four minutes on SmackDown, so she could be in the mix. Except for Natalia, also recently lost to Bianca Belair. So who knows? And then the rest of the women in the division are, you know, you've got the Riot Squad, but they're really kind of more in the tag division. Billy Kay's in there too. So who do you give the title shot to? It's, you know, Bianca Belair, you might say it's too early. Natalia just lost to Bianca Belair, so it can't be her. Bailey's been in the mix for a while. Like, it, if it's not one of the women in the tag divisions, then why not give it to Carmella? So I think this is just sort of a case of, well, we got nobody else, so Carmella's getting the getting the title shot. And then I want to I want to jump to another match where that's happening. All right. So for the Raw Tag Team Championships, tell me if you've heard about this match before. The New Day. Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods are going to defend the titles against the Hurt Business's Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. If this match sounds familiar, it's because the New Day have defended the titles against Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin twice in the in the last month on the 11 16 no, on the November 16th 2020 show 
New Day beat the Hurt Business. The following week, they have another Raw Tag Team title match, and the New Day again defeat the Hurt Business. Now, there are a couple of reasons why the Hurt Business is getting yet another title match, though. Uh, if you go back to the November 2nd edition of Monday Night Raw, Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin defeated Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. And on the last two episodes of Raw, Cedric Alexander has defeated members of the New Day in singles matches. On the November 30th edition of Raw, Cedric Alexander defeated Xavier Woods. On the December 7th edition of Raw, Cedric Alexander defeated former WWE champion Kofi Kingston in what has to be maybe Cedric Alexander's biggest singles victory of all time. So Cedric Alexander, through his success in singles matches, has seemingly put his team back in the tag title hunt. But really, I mean, there's just not a lot of tag teams on Raw. You know, there was... There was the Viking Raiders, but Eric or Ivar or somebody is hurt. And WWE's tag divisions on Raw and SmackDown are both pretty small. I mean, it's only ever a handful of teams at, at most. And Raw has seen a lot of tag teams go away. You had that Andrade versus Angel Garza. I mean, they were a team for the longest time. Uh, they challenged for the belts countless amounts of times and never won them. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, three title shots in a row now for Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander is three times a charm. I don't know. It feels like Cedric Alexander's on such a roll here that he could, he could take his team with Shelton Benjamin all the way to the promised land and bring more titles into the Hurt Business. They already got the U.S. belt with Bobby Lashley. And so far, we don't have a Bobby Lashley U.S. title match booked for TLC, but it seems like him and Matt Riddle are on a collision course. We could get that match announced anytime soon, I think. So, uh, But now, let's move on to the WWE Championship match between Drew McIntyre and AJ Styles. And so for McIntyre... He's coming off of a loss to Roman Reigns at Survivor Series. He's also coming off having won, or sorry, having dropped and then regained his WWE title to Randy Orton. Whereas AJ Styles is coming off of having won almost a mini tournament to earn the number one contender spot. So they did a thing where on Raw there was three singles matches. And the winners of those three singles matches would then meet on the next week's run, a triple threat match, and the winner of that would go on to meet Drew McIntyre at TLC. AJ Styles defeated former champion Randy Orton in the opening round of that mini-tournament, although this was mainly due to a distraction, a bit of interference through distraction via The Fiend that allowed AJ Styles to pick up the win. Then Styles would go on to defeat... Matt Riddle and Keith Lee in a triple threat match. So for AJ Styles, he's actually, I mean, he's one in six on pay-per-views this year. If you go back to the Royal Rumble, he was in the Royal Rumble. He didn't win that match. The Knicks pay-per-view at Super Showdown, he lost the gauntlet match that was won by The Undertaker. Then you go to the Elimination Chamber. He lost to Aleister Black, who nobody has even heard from in weeks 
At WrestleMania 36, he lost to The Undertaker. At Money in the Bank, he did not win the men's Money in the Bank match. At Clash of Champions, he was involved in a triple threat match with Sami Zayn and Jeff Hardy, which was won by Sami Zayn. He didn't pick up his first victory on pay-per-view this year until the Survivor Series when his Team Raw defeated Team SmackDown in the traditional five-on-five match there. And Styles, of course, was claiming to be the captain of his team. Meanwhile, Drew McIntyre is had been undefeated on pay-per-view this year up until October. He had won the Men's Royal Rumble match in January. He defeated Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, defeated Seth Rollins at Money in the Bank, defeated Bobby Lashley at Backlash, defeated Dolph Ziggler at Extreme Rules, defeated Randy Orton at SummerSlam, defeated Randy Orton again at Clash of Champions, then lost to Randy Orton at Hell in a Cell, though he would regain that the title back on Raw, he then lost to Roman Reigns at Survivor Series. So two straight losses on pay-per-view for Drew McIntyre. He'll hope to get into the winning column once again at TLC. Then the biggest non-title match happening at TLC takes place between Randy Orton and The Fiend. And these are two guys who are both former world champions this year. Like they've both been world champions in WWE in 2020. Uh, and they both just lost them recently. The Fiend lost, won the the Universal title at SummerSlam and then lost it the next week at Payback. Um, was that the Universal title or the WWE title? One of the titles. And so now the Randy Orton comes into this just having lost the title to Drew McIntyre. Bray Wyatt just having lost the title to Roman Reigns. So you would have to imagine whoever comes out of this feud between Randy Orton and The Fiend, and I don't think this is going to be a one-month feud. This might be a while. But whoever comes out of this feud having won more matches than the other is very likely going to be put immediately into the title picture. And then just one other match announced for the card so far. We've got Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax going up against Asuka and Lana with Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax's WWE Women's Tag Team titles on the line. The, the Jax and Baszler are looking to get their fourth straight women's title defense of the titles. They won them back at Payback, uh, which was, of course, uh, just the, the week after SummerSlam there. And, uh, yeah, so they've... The only losses on the record of Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler as a tag team are to Lana and Asuka, who have defeated them twice in a row. They defeated them on the November 23rd edition of Raw and the November 30th edition of Raw. So two straight non-title wins for Asuka and Lana, putting them in line for title shots here. It also means that the Raw women's title won't be on the line at TLC. Um... So who knows? We could see Asuka become a double champion. A double champion. She's already won the the tag team titles before, but she could be a double champion if she wins the tag titles at the same time that she's the Raw Women's Champion. And for Lana, for Lana, who has been around and done so much in WWE, she's never won a title. This would be her first and only title ever won in WWE after being... Put through an announce table 
every week for months and months. What a victory that would be for Lana. And currently she has a uh, documentary up on the WWE Network where she talks a lot about the impact that the hate she gets uh, from some people online, how that affects her. So just once again, want to send it out. Please don't be a dick on social media. Wrestlers are real people. And uh, if you're feeling motivation to express anger and, and, and to get someone on social media, maybe take a look at yourself. Maybe there's things in your own life you're not happy about that, that maybe you're projecting um, out onto a celebrity somewhere. So please, uh, please try to be nice to people on social media. You, know, you got to remember wrestlers, um, they really care about what pe people think of them. And that's why that's part of, that might be part of the reason why they pursued a job in the public spotlight. So please be nice to wrestlers online. We all want uh, happy and healthy wrestlers to watch every week. One more thing I just wanted to, to mention before we go this week. Um, the, the performer who wrestling fans will know as Zeus uh, passed away at 62 years of age uh, this week. Of course, Zeus didn't do too much in wrestling. Uh, his contributions to wrestling was ma mainly being the main antagonist cast in the Hulk Hogan film No Holds Barred. And the the success of, of that film, or at least the perceived success of that film, or Zeus's role in that film, I mean, he ended up main eventing a SummerSlam along with uh, the Macho Man and, and things like that. Uh, Zeus never really pursued wrestling too much. He was definitely more of an actor, but he does have that connection to the wrestling world. So just want to pass along some condolences to his friends and family. And, uh, you know, if you get the chance, go back and, and, and check out uh, Zeus's brief time in, in WWF in, in the 80s. Uh, they're aligning with the likes of Ted DiBiase and Macho Man and the evil bad guys at the time. He wasn't around long, but it was kind of a fun time when Zeus was in WWF. So thanks very much, everyone, for checking out this show again this week. Uh, don't forget to check out the articles we have up at SpoilerFreeWrestling.com. We've also got a new episode of Wrestling's Greatish War coming out this week. So thanks again, everyone, and I'll talk to you again next week.